Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. We'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, so please follow along as the text is presented on the screen above. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Hello again. If you're like, J.D., why are we seeing you so much? I'm the only one around this week. (laughs) Um... Pastor Mark, as you know, is on sabbatical, and all of our other pastors, Nancy, Sharon, and Mark Neely, are all on vacation. They're getting rest and enjoying time, and so we're, we bless them in that, and uh, we're, we're so glad that we can do that as a church. They say thank you. I'm saying thank you on their behalf to all of you. Um, so anyways, uh, one of the things that we said is that we're in this new series called Rhythm, Spiritual Practice for Rest and Renewal. Um, we have seven different speakers for the next seven weeks. Uh, I spoke last week. We have another speaker today. Uh, I just want to highlight two things before I enter her and invite her to come up. Uh, one of the things that's really important to us as a denomination is women in ministry and women preaching and leading. And so out of, out of the seven, I didn't mention this last week, but four sermons are like going to be by women speakers. And I think that's really awesome. Yeah, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, the majority, so you're going to get to hear Sharon and Nancy and Ann Snowberger, and today you're going to get to hear Tina Osterhaus, okay? Um, Tina, I asked her for a bio, and, and she gave me this little blurb. She says that she speaks on faith, culture, and the relentless way of hope. She's a mom, a wife, a seminary student. She and her family live on Lake Joy Incarnation. She came highly recommended by Mark Meredith, like it was his choice and his recommendation. So could we give a warm Pine Lake Covenant welcome to Tina Osterhaus, please? Good morning. Oh, well, why don't we pray? Lord, I, I do not know these people that are here this morning. And they do not know me. But I know you. And they know you. And so I ask that you would be the bridge from my heart to their heart. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And together we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Well, good morning. It is a joy and a privilege to be here. And wow, what a topic. Prayer. (laughs) Prayer is hard. We don't even know where to begin, but we want to. 
We want to pray, but we don't know how. Most of us recognize that we need somewhere other than Instagram to bring our lives. We need some place other than Facebook to pour out our hearts and share how disappointing and heartbreaking life really is. We need access to power, to love, to significance, to a relationship that is beyond ourselves. Rabbi Heschel, my favorite mystic, says that in spite of being in the era of self-knowledge, we are losing the power for self-expression because genuine self-expression is an answer to an ultimate question. But we do not hear questions anymore. We have lost any understanding of man's supreme concern because such understanding is not found through self-inspection but through self-attachment to him who is concerned with humankind. The truth is, while prayer is hard, and we don't always know how to pray or how to create a sustainable prayer life that goes beyond 30 days this and three ways to that, we are all here in this church because in some way or another, we look to the one who is beyond, who calls us by name, and tells us that we're not alone. That said, we're also very aware that this God to whom we look is unlike any being we could ever begin to understand. This one who knows our names does not wave a magic wand over our problems. This one lets stock markets crash, fires burn in California, but also helps us find our dogs when they're lost, which is what happened to us five days ago. This one gives us strength when we ask for it, stills storms that rage, but also lets our children suffer immeasurable pain. In other words, we don't have a handle on this God. This God cannot be coerced or manipulated, not even a little bit. 2,000 years ago, A man came onto the scene, born under some pretty shady circumstances, who fit no mold we've ever had. You think you don't fit in. Well, if you hang out with Jesus, you're in very good company. Tax collectors, political zealots, demonized women, and ordinary fishermen loved him. The put-together religious sorts, he baffled them, and the really religious sorts hated him. So much they killed him. He healed, touched untouchables, went to parties, ate with people no one knew what to do with. This Jesus had something with God that reached people in ways no one could explain with words. People whispered things like, He has authority. He spoke as if He knew something, as if He had a personal relationship with truth. He knew of what He spoke. Jesus wasn't just guessing. So much so, his disciples, his people, were so enamored with this thing that Jesus had with God that they asked him to teach them how to pray. Give us what you have, they asked. So when I graduated from high school, I moved on to a missionary ship, and I sailed the high seas for about three years with 200 passengers from over 40 countries. 
I met people who had more than I did with God. They would pray, and I would pause. Where did they learn to pray like that, I'd wonder? My friend Vindo from Indonesia. My friend Sanguk from Korea. My friend Abdul, my brother from Sudan. They would pray, and I would look at them and think, you have authority. Your words have weight, substance. You have more than the kinds of prayers I heard in youth group. You have substance and a depth I do not have. A substance and depth that come from proximity. That come from a living relationship with God that wasn't taught to you by following, like I said earlier, three steps to a better prayer life or five ways to change the world through prayer. The disciples wanted what Jesus had. So Jesus gave them six phrases, six simple phrases that quite honestly, as I've learned to pray them, have changed my life. I have prayed the Lord's Prayer nearly every day for over 20 years, not rote memorization. I've used them as the structure, the place where I begin. These six phrases are my scaffolding. Because we all know if we don't know where to start or where we're going, we get lost. Now before I get to the six phrases, let me clarify the how, the foundation, if you will. If we're building a house of prayer, Bethel, where, what is my foundation? How do I begin to learn how to pray? Well, we begin alone. <laughs> nice as that sounds. As a girl, I was a champion of Bible drills. I loved the Bible and could find verses faster than anyone else in all of Sunday school. I was the champion of Bible memorization and had my Bible ribbons that I won tucked inside my periwinkle precious moments, New King James Bible. (laughs) While learning those verses gave me a beautiful and necessary start to my spiritual formation, I mostly did those activities for everyone to see. Around the time when I moved on to that missionary ship, convicted after seeing some of my other friends pray that I needed something more real, more substantive with God, I began to ask God to teach me how to pray, like Vindo, like Sanguk, like Abdul from the Sudan. In answer to my prayer, I began to hear the Spirit of God ask me a question, which has become the most important question of my spiritual formation. Up on the hills of Acapulco, Mexico, translating the gospel to village people who would never know anything, who I, who no one would ever know anything about, I began to hear a question in my spirit. Tina, would you be willing to live here where no one would ever know your work and quietly serve these people in obscurity? Would you be no one for me? Yeah, not so much. I wanted to be seen. I wanted people to know who I was. That deep black hole search for significance that so many of us wrestle with. I wanted more than the beauty of the unseen life. I wanted the reward and approval of the seen life. 
And thus began my entry into the invitation. You can't have it both ways, you see. You don't get spiritual authority, prayers like Jesus and Vindo and Abdul, if you're looking for people to notice you. The spiritual life that has any kind of substance at all is the spiritual life that begins in obscurity, in hidden places, in our most secret room. As Jesus said, if we want to learn how to pray, we must first learn to go beyond the clamor of the public eye and get alone with ourselves and our good God. The life with God that has power and substance is the life of prayer no one knows anything about. Prayer is not a show. Prayer is the most real work you will ever do. This is the work that is, to borrow a phrase from C.S. Lewis, the weight of glory. We are spiritual and physical beings. The only way to get past the superficial show, the ache for approval, the desperate need to be noticed and approved of, is to go into your room, shut the door, and wrestle your life out with God, who is unseen. And the results of that wrestling match will be evident in ways you can't even begin to imagine. What an ominous task. How frightening, honestly. Jacob wrestled with the angel of God, and the angel popped his hip out of joint. He limped forever as a result. Job dialogued with God, and at the end of the whole ordeal, he set his hand over his mouth and said, I thought I knew something, but I didn't. So here we are. Most of us, I think, are aching to learn how to pray. The God who invites us into intimacy and substance, who will bring meaning and bring a sense of purpose to your journey of life. We want to start. We want to know how to pray. And Jesus gives us an address and six phrases that cover a whole lot of territory. So we have this address. And then three phrases that have to do with God's glory and three phrases that have to do with our needs. Our Father who is in the heavens. We start with a name. This is a relationship after all. And in relationships we give each other names. I don't call my husband, hey you. I call him dear, sweetheart. Sometimes I call him Johnny. I get to call him names that seal our special relationship, names that draw boundaries around it. My children call me mom, which means I am beholden to them in ways that is different from other relationships. I provide for them, and I am responsible to teach them and to help them take responsibility for their lives. They're watching the World Cup game at home as we speak. I don't know if I've taught them very good responsibility. It's the summer. You do not have to call God Father per se. But that is what Jesus called God, which was a radical and foreign concept at the time. And very intimate at that time. Who is in the heavens? The Greek word for heavens is the same as the word for sky. It's the same in Spanish. Sky and heaven are the same word. Which means that when we say that God is in the heavens, we really are saying that God is close by. 
God is here, not in some faraway place that is separate. God is near, present. You could say, Father, the one who is here. In other words, we don't just pray and babble off into the great wide abyss. We name the one to whom we speak. And in that naming, we create a relational construct that we are both beholden to. It is an invitation to both parties to treat God in such a way. May your name be kept holy. May your name be set apart, held in distinct honor. We pray for God's name to be respected and to be the kind of people who hold God's name as the most dear. When someone says something against my husband's name or my children's name, I defend him (laughs) because I know him. This is similar to the Ten Commandments, of course, to, to not take God's name in vain, to be people of integrity. If we are going to pray to this God who is in secret, we also must respect God's name in public. We pray to be a people of integrity in all that we do. That has its source in honoring our good God, the one we pray to in private. This private relationship has public implications. Does that make sense? Your kingdom come, your will be done. These two verses, these two phrases are powerful and deserve an entire series on their own. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God, the reach of God, where the way God wants life to work, works. At the time that this prayer was given to the people, they were living in what is called the Hellenistic time period, but they were under Roman Empire, the Roman Empire. Alexander the Great had swept through the world conquering it and conquered it so well that he changed that the entire common language of the day was changed to Greek. They spoke Greek and began to think like Greeks. And then the Romans came and swept through and they were living under Roman rule, but the language of that time period was still Greek, Koine Greek, was the, Greek, the language of the sort of street language. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying that this world would learn the language of God. That we would learn to think the way that God thinks. That we would become the sort of people, oh, this makes me cry, who turn their, plowshare, who turn their weapons into plowshares. And that they study war no more. The kind of people who love mercy, who do justly and walk humbly with their God. The kind of people who love our neighbors the way we love ourselves. This is the part in your prayer life where you get to intercede, where you ask for big things and pray that you would learn God's language, the language of love. That we would love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Where we pray for kings and nations, presidents and best friends. We pray that this kingdom, the kingdom that starts as small as a mustard seed, but but somehow becomes the biggest tree in the garden, would be the kingdom that is most prominent in our denominations, our churches, our cities, our villages, and in our hearts. Grandmothers, this is your domain. 
where you pray for your grandchildren day after day and never tire. You are praying for God's kingdom, the kingdom of the son he loves to be the kingdom of your grandchildren. And may God be near to you as you pray such important words over your families. That love and peace would reign in our hearts through faith. The thing is, some matters are big and need a big God. This prayer, Your Kingdom Come, helps you realize that sometimes things are beyond you. And it is good and right that they are beyond you. You can't save your best friend's marriage. And even if you could, you wouldn't even know where to start. And so you pray your kingdom come in John and Jane's marriage. Your will be done. Your will be done. Which is similar, but a little bit more intimate. It's more personal. I know my will, and it's strong. Which I am actually not called to pray for. (laughs) I am called to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Again, that the way of love and peace, rest and shalom would be done in my home, my heart, and all around me. In my career, in my goals and my ambitions, I pray to Jesus, to God the Father, your will be done. These are painful words, and they are also healing words. Some seasons, these words have cost me. We lose our lives, and we find our lives on these words. These are words that shape our call to discipleship almost more than any other, because we are not our own, are we? We were bought with a price. Give us this day our daily bread. The word daily, epiousion in Koine Greek, For hundreds of years, scholars didn't recognize it because Koine Greek was not the language that was written down. It was the street language spoken. Classical Greek was written down. And so people wondered what Jesus was talking about when he said the daily bread. And they were like, is that a spiritual metaphor? What is Jesus talking about? Well, in 1897... A couple of archaeologists discovered in the ruins of Egypt near Alexandria, the ruins of Alexandria, uh, an archaeological dig, they found a garbage dump where they came across a bunch of notes in a wastebasket, and they discovered that daily bread, arton, epiusion, was actually the colloquial word at the time for the fresh bread of the day. So mothers would send their children out in a culture that sells its bread in the street corner. Hey, go get the bread. They'd give them their coins and they'd say, get the fresh bread. Don't get the stale bread. Get the bread epiusion, not yesterday's bread. I lived for several years in Chile recently and I sent my children out almost daily to the little corner market and I said, get the bread because everybody eats bread and chili a lot. And I said, don't get yesterday's bread because sometimes the little tricksters would try to sell yesterday's stale bread and save the warm hot bread for later. But we all know that the warm hot bread is much better for dinner, isn't it? And that's what Jesus was talking about. Today's bread. Now, he used just a mother's term 
that they use to their children in the street. This relationship that we have with God, the relationship that Jesus invites us into, is one that welcomes need. Is one that welcomes need. You do not have to be strong and independent. We do not have to hold ourselves together and figure things out on our own. We can always come and ask for help. Just a few months ago, I was trying to sign my son Lucas up for soccer. And I could not get the kid in. It was so complicated. And for several months, obstacles just stood in my way. But I was persistent and believed that he wanted this. I was going to get it for him. So he comes home one day and he says, I want to play lacrosse. And I said, are you kidding me? I am trying to get you in to soccer. We're not playing lacrosse. (laughs) So that evening, after I rebuked my poor son, I sensed the spirit of God hover over that disagreement. Maybe Lucas was supposed to be in lacrosse instead of soccer. And so he and I that night prayed by his bed, and I asked God for direction and clarity for a daily help. The next day, I reached out to someone on the lacrosse team and asked if there was more room, if there was open, um, if there was any room that was open on the team. They had already closed registration, but I asked anyways. And the coach, that very same day, opened a spot up just for Lucas, and he went to practice that afternoon. No soccer for him, after all. God is present to our daily needs, and we are invited to bring them before God in prayer. Not what you needed yesterday. Not what you think you'll need tomorrow. What you need today. When you pray this way as your way of life, You will learn and start to pay attention to God and the way that God works and how God answers. You will learn to be sort of open to the move of God's Spirit because it's just how you pray every day. And then, of course, Jesus moves his disciples into forgive us and help us forgive. Forgive is a big word, but it's an important one. We need a place to go to be forgiven to be absolved. I am a sinner in desperate need of a Savior all the time. This Christian life is not about behavior management. It's about coming into a living whole relationship with the Most High God through the life of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Damage, though, is part of the equation And so I need someone to go to, to grant me absolution. And I need accountability from God to also be about forgiving. I can't seek forgiveness and not extend it. Now I wanted to say a couple of practical things about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not an excuse. And forgiveness does not mean that we are required to stay in relationship with the person in the same way. Sometimes we must, for our safety and security, walk away. Forgiveness also takes time. I've spent months, I kid you not, praying this prayer over specific people in my life, asking God to help me to release them. And sure enough, over time, God brings peace and sometimes opportunity for reconciliation. Sorry, my earrings are hitting this thing. So forgiveness. Now, 
lead us not into temptation and trial. Pretty much, (laughs) this is our daily reminder that we are human and made of dust. We start our prayer remembering that God's name is to be revered. And we end our prayer remembering, on the other hand, that we are fragile and can't handle all that much. I have a bad day, and I kid you not. I'm at the parking lot at the Christmas season trying to find a parking place in the mall, and I'm ready to throw in the towel of my faith. Is God really real? Someone calls my child a bad name and love your enemies? I don't even register that. I am fragile. I am human. This is our reminder that though I pray and am spiritual, I'm also desperately weak and need to keep a healthy perspective in my life. I am not trying to be a superhero. I am not a superhero. I am Tina, the one who lives on Lake Joy, who can't handle all that much pain. And there it is. Please remember, dear Jesus, that I am made of dust. Please have mercy on me. And save me from trials, because though trial come, I'm not very good at them. I need you. Oh. <laughs> and then we have that whole ending that really isn't in the Bible for thine is the glory and the power. And so I'm not going to preach on it because it's not from the text. <laughs> Where is it written? Structure and discipline. <laughs> okay, so this is the last part of this. Um, structure and discipline. Oh, these words are difficult for me. This prayer, we all know this prayer by heart. We've been saying it since we were children, haven't we? Well, not some of us, but... Many of us. It provides a scaffolding, like I said earlier, a structure to our life and our relationship with God. If you begin to pray this prayer in your daily life, which is kind of what I do, I pray this prayer every day as a scaffolding, so I pray through each phrase. Um, I promise you that it will transform your life consistently over time. I'm absent-minded, self-centered as we've discovered, and very focused on the immediate things around me. If I don't have the Lord's Prayer as a structure, I would only pray to the immediate things that surround me. This prayer helps me turn my eyes off of myself and onto a bigger picture. It keeps me moving, and it has a beginning and an end, which also helps me. It helps me know that I am not alone. Sometimes I sit in one section longer than the other, of course. Sometimes I hang out in the daily bread for like a long time. And sometimes your will be done takes a long time for me to say because I'm quite, I'm not that interested in God's will being done. I'm really interested in my will being done. And so I have to wrestle for a long time to get there. I get distracted for sure. But I try to move through each of the six phrases, and I do honestly try to say amen at the end. Because I think that I'm trying not to let it be, it has bookends. Does that make sense? Now, I cannot promise you that you'll see fireworks if you practice this prayer. But I do promise this prayer will help you live an honest life before God and humanity. It will help you to live a substantive life and see that the power from above does not come from prestige 
and political prowess. It does not come from wealth or reputation, but from a relationship with the Most High God. Let's pray. God, I said lots of words. (laughs) And... um, I pray that everyone here today would remember one thing and find a way to apply it to their lives. I pray that there would be no spirit of condemnation, only a spirit of invitation to come to you, Jesus. To come to our Father, who is near, not far away, and that we would bring our whole lives to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.